if you break it down into bite-sized pieces, you can accomplish it. So if you say, I want to be physically fit, but you don't break it down into things you're going to do, you'll never get there. If you want to be financially fit and you don't break it down into bite-sized pieces, you're never going to get there. Okay, it basically comes down to this. You have to forget everything your culture has told you about being a woman, and then you can begin your day. Hi, I'm Jill Sorensen, and you are listening to the New Feminist Podcast, the place for common sense feminism. Women report being less knowledgeable about finances compared to men. And when it comes to maintaining financial well-being, women face greater challenges than men. And still today, many women delegate responsibility for financial decisions to their male partner. Perhaps this belief is ingrained in us. Insecurities we inherited from our parents and grandparents, when men worked and controlled the family finances and women were expected to be full-time mothers and homemakers. Perhaps this cultural inheritance causes us to underestimate ourselves. Being financially independent is empowering. It allows you to make your own decisions and not depend on anybody, something that every woman deserves. I'm very excited to welcome today's guest, Kathy Checky, to give us some financial advice. Kathy holds a law degree from Georgetown University and has practiced law in the areas of tax and estate planning. She co-founded Checky Capital Advisors, a firm that uses technology to build globally diversified portfolios and advises high net worth individuals and families. She also mentors young women through the Leadership Foundation of the International Women's Forum and has been an advisory board member of the Harvard Business School and Georgetown University. In short, yes, you really want her advice. So, Kathy, thank you so much to come on the New Feminist Podcast. I cannot wait to get <laughs> some tips and advice in this area. So, can you tell us how you got started in your career? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me, Jim. Really admire what you're doing to empower women this year, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. I started way back when. I went to law school, Georgetown, and I graduated in 1978. And I actually had my son, Adam, who I'm now in business with, in my second year of law school. And this tells you how long ago this was. I went to tell the dean of the law school that I was pregnant. And he said, oh, congratulations, but that's not a medical excuse. And if you can't come back and take your second year exams, then I won't give you credit for the second year of law school. And that came as a complete shock to me because uh, my husband and I, Al, had borrowed the money for me to go to law school. If I didn't get credit for that second year, it would have been just a complete financial disaster for us. So, of course, I called my mom. Adam was three weeks late. I had him three weeks before exams. Uh, I, my mom came, helped me take care of him. And when I get up in the middle of the night to feed him, I'd study my tax notes. And I was able to go back and uh, take, take my exams and uh, get credit for that second year of law school. I was the first woman to be pregnant and have a baby at the law school. And since I had him at the very end of the year, I'd run into men all along my career who would say, what did you eventually have? Did you have a boy? Did you have a girl? I was famous for being pregnant. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I practiced law in Washington, D.C. 
for a number of years as an estate and tax uh, planning attorney. And then I had the ability to raise my kids, stay home and raise my kids. And at the same time, I kept my hand in. I oversaw all of our taxes, all of our financial planning, all of our finances for our family. And we were very fortunate. Al and I started out with nothing, but he was very successful in his career. So that became the starting point for me, understanding how difficult it was once you made money to know what to do in order to invest it. So fast forward to the time when I was 58 is when I became an entrepreneur and started a business with my son, Adam. I love it. Now I am no longer involved in the day-to-day. I've retired, but he is carrying on and it's doing very, very well here in Los Angeles. I mean, that's so impressive. I love that you started that at 58. I'm so inspired. (laughs) So statistics show that women of all ages have less financial literacy. Women save less, they make less, and they have a lot of insecurities around handling finances, me included. (laughs) What are the concerns that you see and hear when you speak to women about finance? Right. Well, I'd like to start with sort of an incredible statistic. In 1971, there were no female Supreme Court justices, no female cabinet members, no female governors, no female FBI agents no female Ivy League presidents, and no female CEOs. And recruiters lamented that it was probably easier to put a man on the moon than a woman in a corner office. Oh, my. Fast today, and women are leaders in all areas of our society, business, law, medicine, government, even the military. So women have come a long way. But I believe there's still one frontier to conquer, and that is managing our assets and securing our financial future. And I definitely hear, uh, to answer your question specifically, I definitely hear a lack of confidence about finances from women. You know, but when it comes to investing, both women and men often are unprepared to manage their finances. And I would say at least women admit what they don't know. Also, there are a couple of things that women do naturally do better when it comes to finance. First, women seem to be very concerned about financial security. So they look carefully at the downside or risk. Men, on the other hand, tend to completely ignore the risk. They either manage the money uh, on their own, whether they're qualified to do it or not, or they hire, uh, quote, experts to manage their money and pay too much in fees, or they seek just incredibly high returns without assessing the risk. And you and I both know the quotation, it seem, if it seems too good to be true, it is. So I think women are in a lot of ways better prepared to manage their finances than men. Like I say, they are good at assessing risk. Uh, second, I think they ask better questions than men do. They get into the details and they do their homework. And finally, I think they are generally better judges character of who to turn their money over to than men are. Wow. (laughs) So I believe women should really get past their lack of confidence and they should focus instead on getting educated about their finances. Wow. I just love everything you said. (laughs) So what are the most important steps as a woman of any age to take to be smart about your finances? The first and most important step you can take 
is to understand the entire picture of your financial situation. First, your income. If you're working, your salary. If you're married, your husband's salary. And any other income, like investment income that you might have. It's really important to know how stable that income is. What happens if you lose your job or if you have to quit to take care of the kids like many women did during the pandemic? What if someone gets sick with a serious illness or there's a death in the family? And then second, understand your expenses. Where do you spend your money? What's absolutely necessary? Rent, food, all of your fixed costs. And what could you cut out? The things that you could delete if you absolutely had to. After you understand this full picture, the second most important thing is to establish a financial plan. You need a plan of what you're going to do if certain things happen. If you want to retire or if you get a divorce, if there's serious illness or the death of your spouse, all the things that could happen that are completely beyond your control. How prepared are you for adversity? Because adversity will come to all of us and you have to be prepared to step up when it comes because as women, we have a lot of people depending on us. So when you get your first job and you start earning some money, what percentage should you aim to save and where should you invest it? And should you get a financial investor? At what point do you get one? Okay. From day one, you should be thinking about saving and investing. Uh, I think the most important thing when you start your first job is to find out what kind of a retirement plan your employer offers. Oftentimes, employers put in money and you can match that contribution. That means you can put in money as well. The important thing about one of these retirement plans is that as you put money in, money grows tax-free. And that means that it compounds and grows much more quickly than it could if you were paying taxes on it. If your employer doesn't have a retirement account, you can always set up your own IRA. That's an individual retirement account. In this year, you can contribute up to $6,000 a year. And again, that grows tax-free, which is just a huge advantage. The second thing I do after looking to see if my employer had a retirement plan is to begin a savings plan. This is especially important for young people because the longer money has to grow, the better it is. That's called the power of compounding. And sometimes it's very hard for young people to understand that there will come a time when you want to stop working or when you have to stop working. And if you develop the habit of putting money away systematically, uh, it's really an important habit to establish right from the very beginning. Third, when you begin investing your money, I think you should follow certain principles. First, diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, if you're just starting out, get an index fund, which has a whole variety of securities in it. Second, always be sure you have legal control over your assets. No one should be between you and your money. And I think that a lot of people forget this and they don't uh, have complete access to their own money. Look at all the people who were fooled by Bernie Madoff and lost absolutely everything because they didn't have money in their, in their own account. Third, you should keep your money liquid to begin with so that you could convert it to cash in a reasonable time. And fourth, you should really watch the fees that you pay. Don't pay too much in fees because fees can eat you alive. 
I think at the very beginning, you don't need a financial advisor until you have a certain amount of money saved, you know, uh, because you will pay fees to go to a financial advisor, but you do want your financial plan. So you might want to, you know, go to someone who would create a plan for you and charge you a small fee. But I think at the very beginning, the very most important thing for you to do is get into your employer's retirement account or set up your own and develop a savings plan. At, at what point should you invest in real estate or that comes further down the road? Yeah, I think that comes much farther down the road, especially if you're in places like California, yeah. uh, where real estate is very expensive. I think real estate is a very good investment for people, but I think that it's not one that they can make right out of the box. Yeah, yeah. So many women still hand over their financial affairs to their husband, often not even having their name on the house or the mortgage or not even their name on a combined checkbook leaving many of them disempowered. I can't tell you how many women have told this to me. So if you marry, what is your advice, how to set up finances, and should you set them up separately from your spouse? Okay, that's a very good question. I believe marriage is a partnership and that you as the woman are an equal partner. People now are marrying and remarrying at different points in their life. So I think if you have your own assets when you enter a marriage, you absolutely have to keep them separate. Establish your own accounts, keep your own money separate. As you proceed within the marriage, you should be sure that your name is on every asset you acquire during the marriage. That means when you buy your home, when you get a mortgage, all your credit cards, uh, the car. It's just very important for women to be able to have a record of their credit and a record of their names, their names legally on all the assets that were acquired during marriage. And I think equally important is that you should participate in the decision making and understand what decisions are being made. Don't just sign your name to a loan document. Ask, you know, ask a lot of questions. How much money are we borrowing? Why are we borrowing this money? What's the plan for paying it back? Be fully involved in all of the long-term financial decisions. One thing I often say to married women is that, you know, you sign your joint tax return yeah. to submit it to the IRS. And your husband needs your signature and the accountant needs your signature on that tax return. You know, before you sign that document, I mean, give them advance notice, but before you sign that document of the joint tax return, say, before I sign this, I want to understand our finances. What do we own? What do we owe? I need a picture of where we are financially. Yeah, I mean, that's so important because I've actually you know, worked with some women who, who were in abusive relationships and they signed tax returns. And 10 years later, the IRS are coming after them after tons of money. Right. So it's so important. Right. That is exactly something that happens with a lot of frequency, Joe. Really? That women sign tax returns and then, uh, you know, unknowingly, not really knowing that there's being fraud committed or anything like that. I mean, they would never sign it if they knew that. But they sign it. Then years later, when the IRS audits, they're stuck for their portion of the, of the penalty yeah. and fees. So when women get divorced, they encounter financial consequences with way higher levels of severity than men. 
In fact, one in five women fall into poverty because of divorce. So how can you set yourself up so this doesn't happen? I think that is a shocking statistic. I've got to say one in five women end up in poverty. I mean, it's just incredible. And you can bet that none of them were expecting that. No, happened right? to a few friends of mine. So right? it's very prevalent. It's, it's shocking and it is just absolutely appalling that that happens. Um, I always say when you enter a marriage, you should plan for the worst and hope for the best. You know, I, people often say hope is not a strategy. So you have to have sort of plan B. Um, in in a lot of things in life, but especially as you enter a marriage. So here's what I think are the best ways you can prepare for divorce. You know, as you enter a marriage, if you have your own assets, be sure and keep them separate. You know, so often women enter a marriage, especially if it's a second marriage with their own assets, but they make the mistake of not keeping them separate. So those assets get combined, and when they divorce, they get divorced. If they get divorced, those assets get divided. So it's very important that you clearly keep your assets under your individual name, in your individual account, completely separate from the marriage. Then if you're marrying and you're signing a prenup, you have to be sure you understand what happens if you divorce. Now, here in California... If you sign a prenup, you have to be represented by your own lawyer. But what often happens with women is that their fiancé says, oh, you know, I'll hire this lawyer for you. They don't really take it seriously. But it should be clear that if you have your own attorney, it's because there's a conflict of interest. And so you should take that very seriously and ask your attorney all kinds of questions. Why am I signing this? What is going to be the ramification? And ask a lot of what if questions. What if I get divorced? You know, what if um, he ends the marriage? What, What if he dies? So that you know what happens to you in every single situation. I think this is especially important if you are giving up your career and you're getting married. You're giving up your source of income. So it's very important to know what kind of income you'd have, you know, if, if something happens. Mm-hmm. The third thing I think you should do is to stay involved with your finances during your marriage. Again, don't sign anything that you don't know what you're signing. Be absolutely educated as to what is going on financially in your marriage. And then the fourth thing I think is probably the most difficult, but that's to keep your skills current. I know this is a very difficult one. I'll give you my personal example. I was an attorney and practiced law. When I quit practicing law, I still paid my bar due fees in the states where I was licensed to practice law. Just in case I ever had to go back and practice law, I was current. I could hang up my shingle on my own. I could practice law and make money. Now, I have another example of someone who was a friend of mine. She raised her children and all of a sudden was confronted with divorce. And she really had worked a little bit outside the home before she had kids, but it was nothing she could really go back to. And we sat down and frankly discussed it, and it was really tough. So finally, I said to her, you know, if she didn't have a college degree, she wasn't qualified to do any kind of special specialty work. She didn't have a real estate license or anything like that. So I said to her, you know, is there anything that, that people compliment you on? And she said, you know, Kathy, I hate to tell you, but 
the only thing people compliment me on are my cinnamon rolls, my homemade cinnamon rolls. And I said, that's it. I said, call all your friends, see how many cinnamon rolls you can sell, contact, say, ask them to ask their husbands, do you need cinnamon rolls for a meeting in the office? Do you need cinnamon rolls for a PTA meeting? Do you need, you know, and it was unbelievable. She built this incredible catering business, starting with cinnamon rolls, wow. right, for people who didn't cook on their own. But she had that one skill. So it's really worth thinking about as you enter a marriage. You know, again, if you have your own assets, keep them separate. If you sign a prenup, know what you're signing and what will happen to you. Three, stay involved during your marriage. And four, keep your skills as current as possible. Gosh, I'm listening to you. And I wish you had given me advice since the beginning. <laughs> Where were you when I was 20? <laughs> I'm like, I need this, I need this advice, this wisdom. Um, so uh, women live longer than men. How should a middle-aged woman set herself up for her future? Well, my first message to all middle-aged women is it's not too late, but you have to start today and you have to set out a financial plan. So if you're working, you should maximize your retirement account. Oftentimes you can, if you're over 50, you can pay in higher contributions to your employer's account, a retirement account. And even if you only have an IRA, an individual retirement account, anyone over 50 can contribute $7,000 instead of $6,000 a year. And once again, I just have to say this is that the fact that it earns money tax-free is a huge advantage. So the first thing you should do is look to maximize your retirement accounts. Second, you should maximize your savings accounts right now. You know, society makes us want to buy a lot of things, but in reality, how important are these possessions? I mean, we've just all right now gone through a pandemic. We couldn't wear any of our nice clothes, any of our nice shoes, take any of our nice handbags. And we found out that in reality, all that isn't as important as we thought it was. So the thing that is important is your savings as you age in this society. So you need to maximize those savings right now and have a plan where you put away a specific amount each month, you know, maybe make it automatic so that you don't even think about it. Third, you need to establish a financial plan immediately. As with any kind of goal, you know, if you break it down into bite-sized pieces, you can accomplish it. So if you say, I want to be physically fit, but you don't break it down into things you're going to do, you'll never get there. If you want to be financially fit and you don't break it down into bite-sized pieces, you're never going to get there. I found a good website recently. It's called freefinancialplan.com, freefinancialplan.com. Uh, it's 10 minutes. You can fill out the survey in 10 minutes and uh, they'll send you the plan to your email. Of course, once they send you the plan, there's advertising, but you can easily ignore that. <laughs> And it gives you just a quick and dirty picture of where you are in your financial plan so far. If you're middle-aged, I would say go a step further and hire a fee-based financial planner. I'd interview three people and pick out the one that you felt the most confident with. And my bottom line message is even if you're 40 or 50 or 60, you still have time, but you need to make a plan. 
Uh, my husband and I made a lot of sacrifices when we were younger. We deferred a lot of gratification and made a lot of sacrifices. But those sacrifices were totally worth it because I have the life I have like right now. And your sacrifices will be completely worth it too. So for anyone who's listening to this, what are the top three things they should do right now <laughs> to be financially savvy? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know there's so much advice. I'm like, oh God, I have to listen to this podcast <laughs> over and over. It's such great advice. I need to take notes. <laughs> okay. Three things. Here we go. First, I think the most important thing is to understand your finances. You have to understand your income, how stable it is, what your expenses are, what you can cut out, what are absolutely the amount of money you need to spend so that you get a handle on that, your complete understanding and total understanding of where you are financially. Second, I'd say set out a specific plan for this year. I say specific because it's like any other goal. I said, do you know, if you break it down into bite-sized pieces, you can achieve it. And, you know, you should say, I'm going to save this amount of money this year or this percentage of my income this year. I'm going to develop a financial plan this year. Try that free service, freefinancialplan.com. Uh, hire a fee-based financial planner. But develop a plan so that you have something in place moving forward. And then third, I'd say is you have money to invest, you know, remember the four principles. Diversification is super important. You don't want to just be invested in one thing. Having the legal control of your assets, you know, have your assets in, a, in an account with your name on it you know, be able to access that account, have legal control of that money. Keep your money as liquid as you can so that if you have an emergency, you can convert it to cash and don't spend too much. Make sure you're only paying a low cost. Don't pay too much in fees because all the fees that are charged in, in the financial advisor world add up and are taken out of the money you eventually have for retirement. So I would say those are my three things. First, understand your finances. Second, set out a specific plan for this year. And third, remember the four principles, diversification, legal control, liquidity, and low cost. Kathy, I, I cannot thank you enough for all this valuable information. I'm so in awe of you. Thank you so much for sharing all this. And thank you for coming on the New Feminist Podcast. And I hope you will come back because I think we all can learn a lot from you. <laughs> Great. And thank you, Jill, for all you're doing. And uh, I have to tell you, one of my goals this year was to share my expertise with women. And you've given me an opportunity to do that. Oh, my God. You're giving <laughs> goosebumps. <laughs> thank oh, you so, so much. that is so fantastic. Right. I, you know, I love your goal, Jill, this year of empowering women because I think it's, you know, I think we all need encouragement. And I think that it's really great to hear from other women and to give women advice that they can immediately take. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, I hope you come back soon. Great. I'd love to. All right. Thank you. If you like this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. For info and links on our guests, go to our website, thenewfeminist.net, and make sure to subscribe. We always love to hear from you. If you have someone you think we should speak to, let us know. And make sure to follow on Instagram at the new feminist official. 
We'll be back in two weeks with a new podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Jill Sorensen. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Master Energy Healer and Wellbeing Alchemist, Michelle Schoenfeld, and I'm the host of the podcast, You Lost Me at Namaste, where we discuss all things wellness, well-being, and spirituality at the real world 101 level. I'm also a huge fan of the new feminist podcast. So when Jill offered me the opportunity to share my show with her audience, I jumped on it. (laughs) So You Lost Me at Namaste is a podcast where you can learn everything about personal empowerment, past lives, ancestral healing, shadow work, how to manifest your best life through the law of attraction. Because trust me, it works. I've done it. I bring in guests who are experts in their field from all around the world to tackle and deep dive into such topics as ayahuasca, tantric sex, spiritual energy. I broadcast from Washington, D.C. and Bodrum, Turkey. It's a really nice combination, as I said, of wellness, well-being, and spirituality with vulnerability, healing, happiness, and joy all thrown in. So if this sounds interesting to you, I really hope you listen to my show. It's available on all major podcasting platforms in over 90 countries at this point. So again, thank you. Big shout out to the New Feminist Podcast. Thank you for sharing. You lost me at Namaste. And if this sounds interesting to you, please find me. Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, whatever your choice is. And there'll be a link in the show notes. Until next time, know that you're worthy, you're enough, you were born for a reason, and the universe needs your gifts. The best is yet to come, people. It really, really is. Trust it, believe it. It's coming. So until next time, have a great day. You lost me at Namaste, available Wednesdays. Until then, Namaste. Our producers are Sienna Jackson and Jill Sorensen. Our editor is Lucy Baker Swinburne. Original music by Richard Baskin. You can contact us at thenewfeminist.net. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or review. This is your host, Jill Sorensen. You've been listening to The New Feminist. Until our next episode, thank you for listening.